This is uh, Spinning Spokes with Adam Chandler. And for the first time in, well, since COVID started, we have a guest. I should insert some kind of a, a background cheering. Uh, well, Hooray! I had, <laughs> this is, so this is Wes... <laughs> Sorry, man. Says 18 download listeners later. Yeah. Uh, so I'm with Wes Fleming. Um, and and before, before you talk about yourself, I'm going to talk about you for like just a quick second, which is... Knock yourself out. I'm always you, interested to see how other people perceive me. Well... I, so I know you. So I know you as wearing a few different hats, but primarily um, you are um, a part of the BMW MOA staff, right? As, as a, as a, I don't know, it's a full time or side hustle or something. But you, you treat it like a full time job. I think I do. <laughs> it, it now it is my full time job. It used okay. to be my part time job. Yeah. And uh, before it was a part time job. Officially, it was definitely a side hustle. Okay. Uh, and then I also know that through that, about what is it two or three years ago, you started the the Chasing the Horizon podcast. Uh, August 2017 was the first episode. Wow. Okay. And I, I've been a listener since the very first episode. And Helge uh, Peterson. Yeah. <laughs> what a, what a <laughs> you were never going to fail with Helge. I know. The first episode. Well, and so can can I just tell you a story? Oh, please do. So I had the idea to do a podcast because. I couldn't find a motorcycle podcast that was about the industry as the way I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. That was a little more newsy, you know? Yep. So I said to myself, self, why don't you just do it? You can do a podcast. <laughs> I've been a musician for 40 years and recording and, you know, I know how to do that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, how hard could it be? <laughs> uh, the answer is harder than you think. But so this 2017 MOA rally was in Salt Lake City. Yep. And on vendor setup day, Wednesday, I went around to the, went around the outside vendor area mm-hmm. and I just grabbed people that I knew mm-hmm. of or recognized and said, Hey, I got this idea to do a podcast. I'm going to collect some interviews while I'm here at the rally. Yep. Are you interested? I asked 13 people, 12 of them said yes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And then, so I got home and I had all these these episodes, uh, all these interviews. Yep. I'm like, how am I gonna? I got to sequence this somehow. <laughs> and it's like, by far the most recognizable name was Helge. Yeah. So I had to start with him. Yeah, of course. It, it, and it, does has he done a podcast interview before that? Is that was that his first foray? I think that was his first podcast interview, mm. but he's done several since. Okay. Yeah. So I got him into it, and I remember- I'll take that credit. <laughs> I'm sorry. And I actually, so I had a couple of pre-planned questions, uh, and I'll, I'll give you the heads up now before I ask you about um, those first few episodes. One was about uh, your ownership of an Indian, because you always start talking about it and never like actually review the bike. Right. I've heard, I've probably spent more time hearing you talk about owning one, but never about your experience owning one. Yeah. And the second question I wanted to ask about, obviously, was your um, your musician experience, you know, and, and that whole backstory, because you've, sure. again, mentioned it, but never delved into it. But I wanted to mention, I... I you know, I don't listen to professional podcasters. I listen to passionate individuals who like some niche thing that I'm into. Yeah. And I noticed those first few episodes, there was one after maybe the second national rally where, uh, it was a bunch of strung together clips with a ton of background noise. And I was like, Oh man, this is like, you know, it was, it just felt like 
It felt like amateur hour. I'm not yeah. going to take you. No, like, no, that's, it, it did. It was AIM Expo. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah, so I was on the trade show floor with my little handheld recorder. And some of those interviews, like, actually, I wanted to hear what Cardo had to say and what this guy had to say, but I just couldn't hear all the background noise. And it, it I was happy that you quickly went back to, like, a studio setting yeah. pretty quickly. But, it, I mean, it's got to be hard to, because uh, the opportunity at AIM Expo is that, well, there are 75 vendors here I want to talk to. Yeah. And they're here. Let's do something. And I almost did the day with I, I had Altrider and uh, Clearwater, and I thought today about asking them a few questions. And I remembered your AIM Expo interviews, and I'm like, no, because Glenn from Clearwater is trying to like do his thing. Yeah. And five minutes is not going to be enough time to go into it, and it's going to be a ton of background noise. So no, just call I'm, him. I'm glad you learned from my <laughs> my failure. I have that same you know crit- critique of that episode is. You know, it's it's some interesting content, mm-hmm. but it's so hard to listen to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, but that's how you learn. Yeah. And it's a learning process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it's It reminds me of like the early days of blogging, because I started blogging back in 99, back when Ooh, I was a early, kid. Early, nice. Was a ba- I, mean, I have those posts, and they're very angsty. Because uh, <laughs> it wasn't a subject. Wait, was, a, a teenager with angst? Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. So... But but my point is, it reminds me, podcasting, no matter where we are in the, the industry of it, reminds me of blogging because yeah. it's always just an individual with a passion. Yeah, absolutely. And it might be low tech, low, you know, they might be hitting the mic and doing all kinds of, you hear the cat and dog in the background, but the, 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 the care they have for their hobby is like what, what, you know, transitions through that um, absolutely. amateur hour. Um, so about your FTR. About my FTR, which... <laughs> I try to restrict myself to mentioning only once per episode. Um, so what do you want to know about the FTR? I'll, I'll dish. Do you like cruise control? I love cruise control. I love cruise control. I was so, I thought when I first got the bike, I thought, well, what a dumb thing to put on a sport bike. Yeah. You know, cause that's basically, I mean, it's not, it doesn't have a full fairing, but that is a sporty motorcycle. Yeah. And then uh, the first time, after it was broken in, the first time I had to go a couple hundred miles on the highway on it, I was like, that cruise control is magic, man. Because it never, it, it, it never occurred to me how amazing electronic cruise control could be on a motorcycle. I'm used to throttle locks yeah. and, and devices like that. And yep. um, I've used the Atlas throttle lock, mm-hmm. which is I think is by far the best one. And I yeah. recommend yeah. that unit to people mm-hmm. it is the best hundred dollars you will spend mm-hmm. on your motorcycle probably yeah. ever um but yeah i I, <laughs> I can't i don't know if i can live without it now and that seems so silly because <laughs> i had so many i had motorcycles that didn't have fuel gauges yeah you know you waited until it's but you switched into reserve and got yeah. gas yeah you know <laughs> so it was is eric that runs atlas is that his name i can't remember the guy's name but the founder of the atlas throttle lock i saw him today and i said there's we we're talking about just throttle locks and i said you know people understand there's throttle locks and speed locks right they're different things and the yes. speed lock's great because when you have this massive ass hill and you can curse if you want to um sweet <laughs> uh there's no sponsors i can say sponsored by knob <laughs> creek um <laughs> tonight definitely um it, it holds the speed yeah and that that's great yeah it, it really is and i'll tell you what man we're in great falls montana right now we yep. are 300 miles from anywhere yeah and almost all of the places that we're 300 miles from are smaller than great falls mm-hmm. 
the roads are beautiful, but yep. they are long and they are straight. And cruise control was a boon, you mm-hmm. know, because yeah. what I found and, uh, uh, you know, maybe other people will, will recognize this <laughs> when you can see a really long distance, mm-hmm. you don't really understand how fast you're going. Mm. Yeah. And I, there were a couple of times where I looked down and my mother would be ashamed of me for how fast I was going. <laughs> Let's just leave it okay. at that. Okay. Uh, so the speed limit is 70. I like to stay within about 10 miles of the speed limit, mm-hmm. uh, unless I'm in a residential zone. Yep. 25 is 25. Yep. Thank you. Uh, so I was able to calm myself down, mm-hmm. put it on 78, hit the cruise control, and I didn't have to worry about getting away from, you know, because you can, yeah, <laughs> yeah, cruise control is awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it, it's funny to hear because I think that, you know, one one thing that a lot of, you might not, I don't know if you realize this or not, but a host is not a vessel, is not just a vessel to another person's information. Like, like you look, watch, like you think of the, the greats like uh, Carson, you know. Right. Or, or Larry King, these interviewers. You know, they, they hosted and they would introduce you to someone like, well, it's a bad example, but like Michael Jackson would be on the show and they're mm-hmm. interviewing about an album or something. The host is this vessel for information from Jackson to the viewer, but Carson is still going to add his flair, yeah. his anecdotes, He's his still love Carson. of scotch. Yeah, exactly. And so through this podcast, I think a lot, and inadvertently, because I don't, I, I assume you're a fairly introverted individual day to day. You've you've made mention of like kind of being shyer on the podcast. Maybe am I reading it wrong? No, not okay. at all. And but through the podcast, we've gotten to know you as well as some of your guests because you've recorded how many hours? Hundreds of hours now. Um, hundred and twelve or thirteen episodes of Chasing the Horizon, and like thirty-five and, minutes uh, each, forty minutes each. Yeah, I try to keep them under an hour, but yeah, between yeah. thirty-five and an hour, and uh, almost fifty episodes of Two Hundred Miles Before Breakfast. So you've done at least you know if you've done at least a um, uh, Return of the King worth of audiobook, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and and you know, so so, if you thought about fade back to the FTR in a second, if you sure. thought about what people have learned about you inadvertently, like just through that, uh, a little bit. So, uh, and I'll t- I'll tell you why. What what made me think about it? I didn't think about it until an MOA member um, who was an early fan of Chasing the Horizon was actually very helpful to me because I. I I would make a mistake or I'd, I'd overlap two, two parts. Mm, And so it would be, you know, I would just mix the files up Mm -hmm. and, you know, listening to, I'm not going to sit and listen to a 45 minute episode all (laughs) over again. Yeah. Right. So I'd miss things or I'd leave a gap or something. And this guy, his name's Eric. He would send me an email and say, Hey, there's, there's a mistake in the, Mm. and at first I thought it was a little weird, but then I was like, wow, he really, he's really paying attention. I was very flattered. Yep. And I appreciated that he would point out these mm-hmm. these errors because it was that's all it was. It was an error. You know, yep. it's like a record skipping or something. Yep. So um, he actually emailed me in the spring and said, I want to interview you mm-hmm. for 200 miles before breakfast. Oh, that was nice. Yeah. And uh, he came up, he, he came up, had a list of questions. Yep. And some of them were serious and some of them were fun. Mm-hmm. And he came over to my house uh, dur- on a trip. He and one of his buddies were, were on a motorcycle trip. 
And uh, we sat down and I recorded the session and yep. it was a lot of fun. I'm going to put it out as the 50th episode of okay. 200 Miles Before Breakfast. Cool. Uh, kind of, and, and that's when it kind of realized that people are getting, because he knew a lot about me yeah. that I'd never told him, mm-hmm. you know? So, you know, he reads my articles in the magazine. He reads my stuff online, yep. uh, whether it's technical or whatever. There's always a little piece of me in everything mm-hmm. because... Um, that's just the way I write. That's my voice. Yeah. And I realized this guy knows a lot about me. <laughs> and it, it first it kind of freaked me out. But then I always <laughs> also thought it was kind of cool because I spend all this time on my podcast getting to know other people. Right. And it never occurred to me until that moment that everybody who listens to the show, especially if they listen to, you know, six or eight or ten episodes, mm-hmm. they get to know me a little bit. Yeah. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah. So... I think one thing that I've been hungry for for a while as a as a, a listener is like a proper FTR rundown. And it's like, have you gone to Bill, the uh, MOA magazine editor, and like offered to review the FTR and had him like be like, no, we're not we're not reviewing in Indian. But we we have actually discussed it a couple of times, and uh, we we have made the decision that bike reviews need to be BMWs. Okay, because you know we're yeah. a BMW oriented outlet. Um, all of our other content is BMW. Right. So I'm, I might be able to squeeze a Ural review in uh, because it's BMW technology. It, yeah. But if you're a careful watcher, you'll find photos of my FTR. Oh, okay. Because, um, you know, I, I review products and they don't always go on my BMWs. Yeah. But they're cool products that mm-hmm. could be used on a BMW. Mm-hmm. Um, so... There's there are several pictures of my FTR in the pages of the magazine and my uh, I had a KTM 990 Adventure for a hot minute and there's a picture you can you know exactly what it is you recognize that orange motorcycle right yeah, away you do and uh, I got a couple of emails about that one you know <laughs> I thought this was a BMW magazine here you're running V twins the uh, so so is has the FTR sold well like is it no okay. not as well as I hoped it I've, would. I've never seen one in person yeah they. So in 2019, they put out the inaugural edition Mm -hmm. that was as close to the flat track version as you could get Mm -hmm. and still have a reasonable street legal motorcycle. So it had 19-inch front and 18-inch rear. Mm -hmm. It was uh, ergonomically, it was more of a race bike Mm -hmm. than than a street bike. Um, It obviously, it had a 1,200cc engine instead of a 750 cc engine because american flat track has rules Mm -hmm. um they i either 20 or 21 they didn't have a new model year okay they were still selling the 19s oh wow! so clearly it didn't sell as well as they thought it would and then when they did the 22s um or the 21 so it must have been 20 they didn't have the new one okay and they redesigned it, and so now it's 17 and 17. They've mm-hmm. lowered the suspension to uh, shut up the crybabies who talk about the bike being too tall. Uh, <laughs> not that I'm bitter about that, because yeah. I got a 19. Mine's nice and tall. Yeah. But I can still... I'm a fairly tall person. I love tall bikes. But I don't have a, a long inseam. Okay. You know, I only have a 30-inch inseam. Yeah. And I can flat foot my FTR, yeah. no problem. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why people are crying about it. Because, I mean, how many feet do you need to get down at a stoplight? One. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so uh, 
I've completely forgotten what your question was at this point. I know it was about well, the FTR. Oh, you wanted me to give you a rundown of the FTR. It, we could spend the whole hour talking about FTR. We so, could. So, and I want to get to music, and I want to get to other stuff, too. So, okay. so I, I, I guess what I'm saying is that the fans of the show, of, of, of Jason the Horizon and 200 Miles, have a, a hunger. So is there a way that you can get, like, a... Adventure Rider Radio has a raw cast. Yeah. Which I've never listened to, but I've heard about it, and I can only presume that it's just off-the-cuff chat that wouldn't make the general, like, opening, uh, advertising, you know, et cetera, their format. Is there, like, an opportunity to, like, have an FTR cast that's just a one-and-done? And, like, maybe the... the MP- like I did with the Pan America. Or the MP3 file expires, and, like, yeah. it just gets off the podcast, <laughs> you know, app after a few days. Uh, yeah, I I tried at one point. I tried to collect a couple of FTR riders yep. to have a, a Zoom session and record it and turn that into an episode. Yep. And uh, I just couldn't. I couldn't put it together. It, okay. it ended up being a little too logistically challenging to uh, put together. And part of it was, and this is going to sound, this is going to. I don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> okay. But I couldn't get any men to talk about the FTR. Really? I could only get women writers to talk about the FTR. And I was very interested huh. in their perspective, yeah. but I wanted to have more balance than just me and three women talking mm. about the FTR. And I couldn't get any men to sit down with me and talk about the stinking FTR. And it drove <laughs> me nuts. And I actually, you know, communicated with the women who, who said they were in, they were interested yeah. in it. Yeah. And I apologized to him and I told him exactly <laughs> why I wasn't going to do it. And they totally understood. So I, I guess that would have, for me, is a if because you, you're now a member of the Motorcycle Press, like it or not. Yeah. You know, did you fire off an email to Indian and ask them, like, hey, what? As much as you can tell me, what are your demographics for FTR sales? I mean, are, are is it is it primary? Because if Indian has cracked the female rider, like niche, like not niche, but if women want to buy the FTR, every manufacturer should be copying that. To yes, it. they should. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, uh, well, yes and no. I have tried to communicate with Indian and Polaris on a number of occasions, yep. and I have gotten back the email and uh, version, uh, the email equivalent of radio silence. Okay, um, I have had marginal success in communicating with them through their brand management agency, yep. um, and I've gotten a couple of interviews that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm, I haven't been singularly okay. unable to communicate with them directly for right. whatever reason. Harley Davidson as well. I guess yeah. I don't rate high enough to talk to either one of them yet. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And, and and between you and me and the, uh, I think it's like 150 downloads per episode. So it's tiny. Fantastic. Uh, you know, I, I about, and we will get back to this other stuff. I promise. Cause <laughs> I, I am interviewing you, but um, about. Uh, a year ago, no, it was when the R18 was hitting the U.S. Right, yeah. and and I will talk about your R18 or your 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 press R18 uh, in a second. Um, I'd emailed, I can't remember the guy's name, but basically, I'd heard from the gate through the grapevine that they were planning an R18 to Sturgis ride with a millennial, right? Something like that. That was the angle. Somebody you know. like you. <laughs> Well, maybe thinner than me. Wow. And so I emailed the uh, the North American comms, and I got a response from someone. He was like, okay, well, this is the R18 brand manager for marketing. Email That's him. That's who you want to talk to. He didn't reply. I gave it one more try six weeks later of like, 
here's a here's the link to my like ride reports on Adventure Rider and the YouTube channel and like that was smart. And I'm like, I'm not your target, but like if you if you guys end up being desperate, unlikely, I would love to do this. No response. Um, that's the that and an email once to Triumph. Uh, when they were releasing, they were doing like a re- redesigned Tiger of mm-hmm. some sort. I emailed them as well of like, a, hey, I'd love to do something with you guys. I'll even go to Boston and pick it up from like whatever your major press hub is. I'll do all the work. Um, nothing. So I'm definitely, I understand where you're coming from there. Um, but I found that the, the you know, each company is different, but it seems to be like the YouTubers over 100,000 followers tend to get like the preferred treatment. If you're yep. below 100K, uh, it's not, it's not as, so... Sorry to move on the FDR. I really that's more all questions. Right. But uh, what was the experience like? Uh, and and you can be you can be sort of um, uh, a little kid in a candy store if you want to. But what was the experience of like having the R eighteen for a few weeks or a month, and like not nitty gritty of like how the delivery happened that kind of stuff. But did that scratch an itch for you of like holy shit I've made it, or did you did it just feel like a natural progression for you? I'll tell you what, what made me feel a little bit important mm-hmm. is that uh, BMW reached out to me. Mm. And now I had talked to their head of marketing yep. several months before mm-hmm. about, uh, right, because they didn't do a press event. They did an online press event. They yep. didn't do an in-person press event. And, uh, and that was, they were trying to get people on the bike Mm -hmm. and they were trying to get some coverage of the bike that was, uh, not what they had already done. They'd made those really fantastic videos with those young, beautiful human beings (laughs) that were hip and trendy and knew how to ride. The star's hair was like, I'm like, I wish my hair would. Oh, I wish I had hair that would do that. Not let alone that my hair would actually do that. So, um. I had talked to them a couple of times and they reached out to me and they said, Hey, listen, we've got an R18 in New Jersey because uh, most of their press fleet is in California. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and not only, not only can you have it for a while, but we'll bring it to you. Wow. Yeah. They, they put it on a truck and they brought it to me <laughs> and I was like, okay, I've made it, <laughs> you know, but now it's, it's because if it had not been COVID, they never would have done that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah. I've I've gone to New Jersey to pick up press bikes before. Yeah. Okay. Um. So so yeah, but that made me that made me feel special because yeah, of course you know I was I'm really there. I don't want to say I'm the only journalist that they deal with on the East Coast, but mm-hmm. I'm one of a small number of journalists yeah. that BMW deals with on the East Coast. So for yeah. them to to bring to send me a motorcycle yeah i I really did feel like i'd made it a little bit (laughs) of course i loved riding it It was such a strange bike for bmw to put out yeah you know very outside of their typical sport oriented even Mm -hmm. the r9t is a sporty bike it is and uh it was i was completely blown away i'd been following it from its inception Mm -hmm. And uh, writing extensively about it, I probably knew as much about it as anybody could. Yeah. And then to get on it and transfer that knowledge into riding experience, completely blown away. Well, you 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 now that have because you've you've seen the storytelling, the the the, the value of storytelling firsthand. Yeah. 
to follow that bike from birdcage to like release was such a great, like a two and a half year saga. Yeah. Uh, I think, and one of those, one of those, um, YouTube episodes he did had, um, the woman, um, from, uh, Berlin or Munich that's in charge of marketing. And she mentioned like casually that she was, it was her idea to do the YouTube series. Right. And I'm like that she's a genius. Cause like there was 18 episodes or something, but like, it, the buildup was perfect. The 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 reveals, the branding, the storytelling, going to like the different museums and all the they really it, oh my god crushed it. Yeah, it was perfect. It was fantastic, and I hope they do more like that. Yeah, but as as we get back to and nobody, of course, can see me doing quotey fingers, but normal. <laughs> um, I'm I'm afraid that those kinds of things will stop, and that's you know BMW is a tech forward motorcycle company. Yep. They are not always a tech forward marketing company yeah. because you know, this is how we do marketing and that's how corporations do marketing and that's the mm-hmm. way they're going to do it. Yep. And this was a big step out of their comfort zone mm-hmm. for them. And not a lot of other companies were able to do that as effectively. No. And I saw, for instance, with the Harley Pan America, yep. they tried to do a similar thing. Mm-hmm. It was not as similar as I think they would have hoped it would have been, but it was still pretty good. And this is probably the last podcast where I'll get to be a little bit more off the cuff. Cause I have to be, and I, I you go through this all the time, but I don't have to go through this very much. So, you know, I work for a company whose primary income is Apple computer. Okay. And so I wrote a blog post of my of this week on my blog about how much I just despise this newest MacBook Pro and the whole the time. The 16? Uh, it's like the, the, the Apple, uh, there's no Intel chip in it. It's their new chips. Oh, right, right. And, I, uh, and I'm just disappointed in it. And, and I, I, the whole time I'm like, and this is my view, but but like I, I, I've still, I still love technology and I've been writing about Apple for 20 years, way before I worked for TomTom, but now I have to be like on edge because I don't want to lose my job over it. Right. And, and so this is something that... Uh, just thinking out loud and we don't have to discuss it at, at length because of now that our relationship is a little bit more tied together with the MOA. Right. But I think about the R18's market being in my mind, us, that's just my, not be being a hoity toity American. It's just, right. it feels like an American bike. Oh, it absolutely is. And I think about, you know, the shrink, the perceived shrinking of dealers uh, BMW dealers the last 20 years in America. And I think about how those dealers make their money, which is like service or how much, how many GSs they sell. And I'm like, man, the R18, like, I hope that BMW, I don't know. I hope BMW like really went into the trenches with training and marketing at the dealer level for this bike, because if the dealers aren't pointing at the R18. Hey, look over there. They're not going to sell them. Yeah. That's just, again, me, my opinion, I don't know anything. Yeah. Well, and you know, I've, I've talked to a number of dealers about the R18 and how they're doing with it. And I've worked, I worked on the R18 that BMW sent me. Mm-hmm. I made some tech videos. I about enjoyed it. those. Yeah. And, uh, it, it is not an easy motorcycle to work on mm-hmm. because of how tightly engineered it is. They hid everything that looks ugly on a motorcycle. There's no wires. There's, there's no wires. <laughs> you can't see. There's no cables. <laughs> right. Where are the oxygen sensors? Yeah. You know, they're hidden underneath yeah. the motorcycle. There's no, you cannot see any black boxes on that motorcycle. Yeah. And that's well, one of the things that makes it so beautiful. There was a beautiful. pop-off panel to get the seat, the, the key latch, right? There's a pop-off like plastic panel you had to get to when your seat install video or something. 
Yeah, um, yeah, to do the seat. Yeah. yeah, to adjust the rear shock. Right, right. That's what it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it was. It's just a fascinating piece of machinery, but um, you know, out of the dealers I've talked to, they've been feast or famine mm-hmm. with R18 sales. You know, I I talked to one dealer on this trip that I'm yep. in the middle of, and they got. 10 R18s mm-hmm. and they have nine of them sitting on the floor. Wow. Yeah. You know, but I know another dealer um, in Virginia who sold 10 R18s before they ever hit the ground. Wow. Yeah. You know, and they've, they've got four or five in the shop, Yeah, but they sell them too. Yeah. You know, and this, this same dealership sold it in 2021 so far, they've sold 15 S1000 RRs. <laughs> You know, so yeah, they're yeah. clearly doing something yeah. right. Yeah. And they're selling bikes outside the mainstream of what mm-hmm. we think of as a BMW motorcycle. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I, I would, I, I know there's global figures for GS sales. But my gut feeling is it's like at least 75% or You're probably G- pretty GS close. from like 750 all the way up to 1250. Yeah. The, the GS line in the BMW lineup is the bulk of their sales. Mm-hmm. And then I remember an interview with Clinton Smell on Adventure Rider Radio, who is a, a GS off-road certified instructor, a BMW off-road, uh, which I'll tell you a story about that in a second. I, 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 I emailed those guys randomly and asked how to take the training, and they said no. Uh, but <laughs> they, uh, not, You said, how do I take this training? And they're like, you don't. <laughs> so, but Clinton Smelt said that when he was in, in Munich or wherever they do the training, the Enduro Park, um, those guys open up with like, yeah, we know, like, statistically, we know that the majority of GSs do not go off-road. We just right. we just know that. Yeah. Um, and so I've had people on, on the ADV Rider forums complain about, well, why would BMW do this? This is not very off-road-centric. Like, yeah, but the dollars come from guys that are not going off-road. Yeah. So it's got to be a really difficult thing for BMW marketing and design, engineering, and, like, all those different teams to get together and be like, we know it's an off-road adventure touring bike, but this guy's never going to take it off road. So why don't we just do this thing? that's going to make him happy. And the 20% that do will go off. You know, that's got to be a really hard thing to do for BMW to ride that line. And we don't have to go deep into this. Cause I know it's that's a, okay. I can tell you a little story that might okay. illuminate that a little bit. Okay. Right. So, uh, and this is a story that was told to me. So I'm going to use John's words okay. and they're going to sound like mine, but John told me this story. <laughs> okay. Um, he's the GM of, uh, Richfield BMW in Minneapolis. Okay. And, he told me that when the R80 GS G slash S came yep. out, it did not sell well. The salespeople didn't like it. They didn't understand mm-hmm. it. They didn't know what to do with it. A few years later, the R100 GS comes out and they start selling them like hotcakes. Huh. He said the difference was you look at the R80 GS and it's a dirt bike that you can ride on the street if you want to. Mm-hmm. The R100, it's been redesigned. It's a street bike. You can feel comfortable riding in the dirt. Yeah. And that's the difference. Mm. My GS is one of the ones that doesn't go off-road. Yeah. I'm not afraid to take it off-road, gravel, hard Mm -hmm. pack, you know, whatever, but I'm not running it through sand and mud and water crossings. I don't ride like that. Mm -hmm. My GS is a touring bike. Mm Mm-hmm. I've got road tires on it. Yeah. Full, 100% road tires. Not dark side tires, though. No, no, not dark side tires. <laughs> Let's go That's, there. No, I, I have a car tire on my sidecar rig, okay. which is where it belongs. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and we'll get back to my uh, Enduro Park topic in a second. But yeah, and I think that 
in the clicky GS world, there are some people that really get bent out of shape about GSs sitting on street tires. And Absolutely. Like, I, I get judged. I see it. I get judged. It does. I, I don't participate in those kind of because there are guys with with, you know, uh, there, there's a 701 Enduro SM for Supermoto. I mean, there mm-hmm. are there are dirt bikes with Supermoto set up. So, that, you know, it, 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 it's the same bike. You can participate in either way, you know. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I don't know if you are you familiar with the GS off road certified instructor, like what that requires, what the. I know a little bit about it, but not all that goes into it. So, I know it's a thing, yeah. but not how you get there. So I've been trying to research this because I, I, I do these stupid because I have a real career and my career is not motorcycling. Um, but I do these things where I like just have bucket list things where like, wouldn't it be cool to do this thing? And then yeah. I, I want to be that guy that like, <laughs> like I, 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 I've been to like. Uh, uh, EMT, like I've gone to like five day EMT trainings or I've gone to like a five cool. week bartender course or like, and, and they're like, Who <laughs> that's here, awesome. who's here is going to run their own restaurant. I'm like, I'm going back to my office job in five <laughs> weeks, but I, I just wanted to become a bartender just to learn more about cocktails, not yeah. to start a restaurant. Anyway. So uh, there's a very few amount of these GS off-road certified instructors in the U S I thought it'd be cool to be one. I don't have any intention to be a trainer. And so I emailed the Enduro Park, which is the only place that certifies people in Germany. Uh-huh. And um, they finally got back. Basically, I said, like, I see you have a course coming up in September. It's, it's it, I wouldn't go this year. The price is insane. It's, I think it's 4,000 euro for wow. a two-week course. Wow. That's like 6,500 bucks. And you have to cover everything to get there. Yeah, you, you have to, you know, your hotel, flight, flight hotel. Yeah, food. So um, you're talking probably ten grand. It's ten grand, um, and and you may not even pass. By the way, of course not. And after you pass, you become one of the couple hundred people that are like you, you've passed BMWs, like they've stamped your forehead. Yeah, you may ride a GS and have people follow you. Um, and you look at the course curriculum. It focuses a lot on if you and if you watch some of Sean Thomas's talks, you'll get the feeling for it. But like a lot of it is the technicals of the GS, the ABS system, yeah. trash control. Like you have to know everything about Enduro Pro Mode. Uh, it's also like first aid, uh, roadside repairs. A lot of it is like practical. You're, you're a rawhide instructor. You're going to lead twelve guys up yeah. the Continental Divide. We don't want you doing it as a GS certified trainer, not know how to replace a tire. Right. And then like. It seems like 30% of it is like off-road riding. Um, so I emailed them and they were like, well, we would be glad to take your money, but <laughs> the head of your country's marketing department has to stamp approve you, like has to refer you. Oh. So I guess that's why a lot of the GS Trophy people get sent to Germany after winning the GS Trophy because BMW North America is like, oh, you, you've you got brand can, recognition. You can do this. You can go. So, so I, I looked on LinkedIn, okay, who's running BMW North America marketing? I found the guy's name and I sent a a LinkedIn connect mail with like, this is weird. Don't laugh. But all I need from you is to just tell Enduro Park that I deserve to be, (laughs) to get this training. You don't know me from Adam, but hi, I'm Adam. Um, And that was a month ago. He never responded. So I'm not like, again, I'm not entitled to anything. Right, right. Um, but I was like, here's this, you know, shot in the dark. Let's just see what happens. If you don't ask the questions always, the answer is always no. Right, right. So um, back, to the, back to the original topic. <laughs> uh, what's, you've mentioned being in a band. What instruments do you play? 
I'm primarily a guitar player, but uh, I I've played bass in a band. Um, I'm a, also a keyboard player, but I've yep. never played keyboards in a band. Um, and I can play a little bit of mandolin, and that's probably about it. it, it I saw you as a bass guy. Is that a is that an offensive thing to say? In not at all, man. Not at all. The bass guys are always like chill and yeah. just like just the coolest dudes or guest gals. But, you know, so I always thought you were a bass guy. I appreciate that, I think. <laughs> um, and, you know, to be perfectly honest, I'm probably a better bass player than I am a guitar player. I'm kind of an average guitar player. Okay. But I, I am a good bass player. Was there a time in your life when you were like in the van doing the tours and like yep. going city to city? Yep. Do, do, you got to miss those days, probably not being broke, but you got to miss those days, right? Of like, you know, you know what it's, it's yeah. What I miss is the camaraderie mm -hmm. because, uh, I, I joke that being in a band is like having four wives, you know, <laughs> five guys in a band and you're married to four, four wives. <laughs> it, and it's, it can be incredibly difficult to manage the personalities, mm -hmm. but when you click not just as friends, but as musicians, it is one of the most intense and rewarding experiences you can have, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that I really love about motorcycling is I've found a lot of relationships in the motorcycling community. They're not the same, yep. but they they evoke a lot of those same feelings from mm -hmm. when I was in my band days. Yeah. Because... You know, riding around in a van for six weeks with four other people <laughs> and you get to know each other's ticks and smells <laughs> and, you know, yeah. idiosyncrasies, it really, it forms a bond that will either create a lifelong friend mm -hmm. or make you absolutely want to kill somebody. <laughs> what was the, was the goal for you guys, like, in... And there's always like the the, the rose-colored glasses or whatever, you know, 20 years removed or 10 years, I don't know how old you are, but what... No comment. Were, were you guys have the... Did you have the goal all along of like the stadium? Oh, yeah. The, yeah. We were going to be rock stars, okay. man. We were going to be rock stars. I was going to be a rock star and never... I was going to get to drop out of college and be a rock star and be <laughs> rich and famous, yep. you know, and, you know, win an MTV award. I was going to be... I was going to be on stage in front of tens of thousands of people in a stadium. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, the most people I ever played for was probably, I, actually, I probably did play for 10,000 people okay. once, but I wasn't the draw, you know? <laughs> and how did each of your, so, because everyone, everyone has different egos and different, you know, uh, approaches to the world. Did each of your bandmates struggle with that realization that wasn't going to happen differently that everyone have like their own sort of internal therapy they went through like a different like you might have dealt with it at like age 30 but your buddy at like age 40 finally realized it like did that, yeah. did that happen yeah that's kind of and it's it's usually you see it when people drift away mm -hmm. you know if you've got five guys in a band and i usually played in two guitar bands so there were okay. usually five of us yep. um sometimes you have a singer who also plays and mm -hmm. then you've got four so you would find a guy like uh, my friend Jeff, who is a fantastic human being, mm -hmm. was a really good bass player. He was a lot of fun to hang around with. Uh, 23 years old, he quit the band and joined the Army. Hmm. You know, like he yeah. went, okay, I'm not going to be a rock star. 
and yep. he punched out, you know, where, you know, I, I, I'm old enough to know better and I still play in a rock and roll band and we just finished recording an album yeah. and I'm super excited for this album to come out. And, you know, there's still that little, that little, it can happen. It can happen. There's still, it's right in the back of my head that somebody is going to hear this album and they're going to go, we got to put these people on tour with Aerosmith. Yeah. You know, and of course, you know, but, uh, I don't, it's not going to happen. And I play music now for fun and fulfillment Mm -hmm. and, to be with people who are playing music for the same reason. But back to your family or your, your marriage anecdote, yeah. like when your buddy quit at 23, uh, it was probably like losing a brother or a wife. I mean, it was like, it, it really felt like a betrayal. Up. It felt yeah. like a betrayal. And yeah. I had, I, I was pleased that he figured out what he wanted to do with his life. Mm-hmm. He joined the army. He had a great career in the military as a, as a heavy mechanic. Yeah. Um, and he succeeded and he's, he's got a wonderful family. He, mm-hmm. you know, got out of the military finally after multiple deployments and I'm <laughs> glad he survived. Oh yeah, of course. Um, and he, you know, he's very successful as yep. a human being, yeah. but he never got to be a rock star mm-hmm. and it felt like a betrayal when he quit. You know, it really, it hurt. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel that way when people give up motorcycling, when my friends, yeah, I'm not going to ride anymore. Like what? Well, that, and can that, we even be friends anymore? That's been something. And I don't know if you want to pause for a while or anything. I'm happy to do it. We're at 40 I'm, minutes. I'm good, man. Um, I'll, I'll go I've, all night. I'm not, I'm not shy I, now and I'm not humble. So I've, <laughs> I've struggled with this and it's again, one of the problems I, I always try to think about is the, my perception is based on my past experiences. My exactly. perception in 10 years will be different because I've lived more you know, memories. So whenever I try to make judgment or think of like, you know, past judgment or think of a best way to do something, I always tend to have that like person on my shoulder going like, yeah, but you're only 34, which... Granted, there are probably 18-year-olds and they know more than me, but like at 44, I'm going to be like, oh my God, that guy. How dumb was I? <laughs> what an idiot. So so this statement, you know, I want to make sure I'm, I'm cl- clear on that, but in our riding scene in New England, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm on the board for the Vermont BMW Club, which has, I think, 350 to 400 paying members, somewhere okay. like that. It's a massive club for chartered clubs. Um Especially in Vermont. Aren't there only like 80 people who live in Vermont? More cows than people. Yeah. I actually just verified that. It wasn't true in Vermont. I was so disappointed. Oh. It's got to be true somewhere, it's though. It's true in Montana. Montana. Like there this. you go. <laughs> um, There's a lot of cows in Montana. <laughs> but you see people that... There, there are people that still go to our club events and don't ride anymore. Yeah. And you see people that go to our club events that, in my opinion, probably shouldn't be riding anymore because you see them drop their bike at every rally mm-hmm. or you see them struggle to navigate, uh, uh, you know, a merge lane or you, you observe things that are like, Ed's a great rider. He's been riding for 45 years. Like, why is he making these kind of like drunk person mistakes? And it, it really is age. And, and sometimes it catches up to you. Yeah. And like, like in the BMW community of riders, uh, I, I try to, I try to not hug, but like, reach out to those people that are hanging up because if it's age that they probably made the right decision 
at the time. I don't vilify them for it. But yeah, if someone is, and, and, and by the, on the other flip of the coin, back to probably what you were saying, I meet a lot of people who are just returning to riding because they had a kid. Right. There's that like, well, I had two kids in, um, you know, 2003 and they had to go to Princeton, Princeton. Yeah. And I, I finally got that bill. Like they finally graduated from college. So now I bought my GS, which is like one eighth of the cost of college or something. Right. And they're back in it. And now they're like, yeah, but now I can't really ride anymore because I've got like a knee replacement. And, you know, they're, it's, it's a sad story, but obviously for family, you, you know, you can't really vilify someone for that either. No, no, I, 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 I didn't quit riding when I had a kid. Yep. Um, but at that point in my life, riding was, Motorcycles were a huge part of my life. Um, I did go for a couple of years without a bike when my daughter was very young, mm-hmm. but that's because, you know, we had, we, I had motorcycles and my wife had a tiny little crappy car <laughs> and we both needed to be able to take our yeah. daughter to the various places she needed to be, whether yeah. it was the doctor or daycare or whatever. And I could not put her Something on a motorcycle. Had Something had to give. <laughs> so I sold my motorcycle and I yeah. sold my, uh, my own, I had a crappy pickup truck. I sold, I sold my motorcycle. I sold my pickup truck and I sold a guitar and I bought an SUV, Yeah, you know, and about two and a half or three years later, my wife sat me down. She said, we need to talk about something tonight. Um, I just want you to, after we put the baby to bed, we're going to sit down. We're going to have a conversation. I'm thinking, oh, great. She's leaving me, right? Because <laughs> uh, And then I start going through my head, well, what did I do this time? Um, or what did I do? You know, because, mm-hmm. you know, the, the divorce is never about the toothpaste cap, right? There's much more to it. And I'm going, what did I? And uh, so we sat down and she's like, you are unhappy you need to get a motorcycle. Hmm. And I thought, you are absolutely right. Because <laughs> that was the thing that was missing. I had everything else. I had a wonderful family. I love my little daughter. She was so much fun mm-hmm. for something that cries all the time. <laughs> but there was no motorcycle in my life. And no yeah. motorcycle means no motorcycle people. Right. And that was the hard part for me. Yeah. Uh, and that's, because I'd had a, at that point I'd had a little taste of the BMW community, mm-hmm. and I was really eager to get back into that. Yeah. And and since then I haven't haven't stopped riding. And my daughter has grown up around motorcycles mm-hmm. and motorcycle people, and I think she's a, a better person for it because yeah. she has a perspective that a lot of her peers do not have mm-hmm. of watching her one of her parents continue to do something that is passionate and dangerous at the same time. But we always talk in our family, we talk about things like medical insurance and, Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff and the risks of motorcycling. She knows about my crash and what I went through after that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, she, she's been part of the process, but that makes us a little weird for child raising. Not everybody talks to their kids like that. Yeah, and it's interesting because in Vermont, where I live, everyone grows up with like a wheeled something. Yeah. It's not street legal; it's just in the backyard, and that's you know, I'm 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 the weirdo who, at 29, uh, said I want to drive across country on a bike. Nice. And did you do it? Not yet. But okay, that, that's. But I'll, I'll definitely. 
I've done enough miles to have <laughs> right and but, back and then again. But it started this this process of going out and buying a bike, and uh, I never touched a motorcycle until age 30. Wow, really? I didn't know that. That's awesome. <laughs> and so now at 30, almost 35, I'm making up for lost time. But yeah. all of my friends that are like great off-road riders, they had mini bikes from like age yeah. two, and they've been riding these Vermont roads on their little 90, 125cc bikes for, they're all in their 40s. And I'm like, and, and I always tell them like, I'm a slow rider and they don't, they know I'm a slow rider now because they just know that I've I never got to do it with my bones bent. I never, right. I never, <laughs> I've always had hard bones on motorcycles. Yeah. Um, but I'm trying to make up for it. And, and I, I think that what I'm trying to get at is in Vermont, I think that even if all I have is an 04 KLR that has like zip tied plastic on it or something, I'm going to always have a bike. Yeah. Like you can get a KLR for about 2,500 bucks, it's going to need a rebuild <laughs> of the well, motor. I mean, it's a KLR. <laughs> of course it needs rebuilt. <laughs> but even with a child or two, I might not own a BMW, but I'll own, have a motorcycle. Yeah. And that's, you know, and, and, I, and I'm, anyway, but I, I think everyone's situation is different. So I don't want to vilify anyone. Um, but the whole hanging up riding thing, it's, it's, it's a super personal decision, but I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm definitely with you in that it, it feels like losing a, a brother or a sister. Yeah, it really does. Especially when you, when you, when you leave our community, like no one else really rides. Like, I mean, it, it feels that way, right? Cause yeah, like when, nobody, there are a few people. So when I got, when I got my FTR, there's yep. my, there's my mention, right? That I brought it up. <laughs> uh, when I got my FTR, I joined the Indian motorcycle riders group. Um, I was curious to see what their riders group was like. Mm -hmm. And there are a couple, there are a couple of folks in there, uh, two men and a woman that I can think of who ride everywhere all the time, day, night, winter, summer, big miles all mm -hmm. year round. And most of the rest of them are weekend riders, Yep, you know, yep. and they don't, if they put 10,000 miles on their bike in a year, that's magic. Yeah. You know, and I, I, the demographics are not all that dissimilar from ours in the BMW community, but they have more younger riders mm -hmm. and they have more female riders. And I think one of the reasons is because Indian has done a really great job of reaching out to yeah. younger riders mm -hmm. and female riders and yeah. BMW's catching up, mm -hmm. you know, BMW's catching up. And I think as more of those people start riding, uh, more of those people will find their way to the MOA too. Yeah. When I test rode an R9T, it was way too small for my frame. Like I felt scrunched on it, the the pure and the real one, the yeah. full size one. Um, I would imagine FTR does not feel scrunched compared to an R9T. Are you, they? You would actually be wrong. Okay. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> one of my friends described seeing me on the FTR as like watching a monkey humping a football, <laughs> right? And I, I'm, I'm a big dude. I'm, I'm a lot bigger than you, uh, but I'm also 6'3". Yep. And the, the bike is not the most comfortable motorcycle for my nips and, nip, nips and he's. <laughs> Hips and knees. I had a, I had a visual, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. You're really uh, hugging that frame. <laughs> yeah, and I, I look ridiculous on it. Yep. I've seen pictures of me on it and I look ridiculous, but guess what? I don't feel ridiculous. I don't, yeah. and I can't, from my, my view on the seat, 
doesn't look ridiculous to me. Yeah, it looks yeah, fast, yeah. looks fun, <laughs> you know, but, uh, I, I looked, I looked at the R9T. I was going to get me a bike mm-hmm. for my 50th birthday. Yeah. That's what it was. I was going to buy a new bike mm-hmm. for once in my life, yeah. have a warranty and a shiny bike where I put the first, you know, miles on it. Yeah. And it came down to the R9T or the Indian. And I like, I had BMWs. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of BMWs. And you've had oil head boxer BMWs. I have had BMWs with that exact motor. Right. And I really wanted to, I wanted to own an American motorcycle, but I'm not really into cruisers. Yep. So when Indian came out with the FTR, I was like, all right, that's my bike. Yeah. You know? And uh, I mean, you it, can still put tassels on it if you want to. I could, Indian. I could, <laughs> except that I have too much self-respect for tassels. <laughs> um, yeah, I did put I did put an ADV <laughs> pannier on it. I put okay. a, a giant loop around the world, just one, because yeah. you can't put two oh, on because of the exhaust. Does your exhaust come up like this, like a scrambler? Okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's very high and it's and it's it sticks out. Yeah, um, but they Indian made her, makes a luggage rack for it, and uh, I looked at the luggage rack and I talked to Harold at Giant Loop, and I'm like, I think your thing, I think your round the world stuff is going to fit on this bike. And he's like, well, if it doesn't, you can just send it back. <laughs> and I said, all right, give me one of those. And it works, and it's awesome. And the other FTR riders that have seen it, they're like, dude, that thing is cavernous. I'm so jealous. Because the little messenger bag yeah, that Indian yeah. makes looks great. Yeah. But you can only put like an apple and a peanut butter sandwich <laughs> and an iPad in it. You I've, know? I've seen like... like like there, the, you, so you have a kid that recently got out of high school, like in the past yeah, five yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, Last you year, she how, just finished her first year of college. how large their backpacks are. Oh, dude. These I'm scram- stunned she walks upright. <laughs> These scrambler clones, you can't put a high schooler's backpack on that no. thing. No, <laughs> no, you can't. And there's, there is not very much of that motorcycle behind me, I'll tell you what. Yeah. You know, the... the because especially since I will, if I get uncomfortable, I'll like scooch up and sit on the back seat and... I can ride that bike from the back seat, <laughs> you know, which looks even more ridiculous because I'm now I'm hunched over reaching over the handlebars. Um, but sometimes you got to stretch out and you got to change your leg position. That's the and, nips and knees position. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, as impractical and inappropriate as that motorcycle is, uh, I just love the thing, man. I, to the point where. You know, I'm coming up on, I recently passed my two-year anniversary of buying it, Mm -hmm. and Indian gives you a two-year warranty, but you can buy their extended warranty up until your warranty expires. Wow. So I made that commitment in May. I was like, all right, I'm going to extend the warranty. I'm going to keep the bike. And uh, so I signed on for another three years of warranty. And then I think when that bike is five years old, I'm going to have to admit to myself that I really just can't ride it. It's uh, an, for it's, very long. It's an industry topic, but I've seen that more uh, manufacturers are getting into the uh, certified pre-owned market. Yeah, which is a great idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's money to be made there just by simply giving it a hundred point check. Yep. But I really wish more of them would sell extended warranties because the the online discussion around BMW aftermarket warranties is fraught with like asterisks. Yeah. And it's also fraught with like negotiating with dealers for the best price and calling around like. I don't want to go into a showroom and know that I paid four hundred dollars more for my aftermarket warranty than if I went down the street. I mean, that just yeah. feels it hurts. So, like, why can't it be? It would be nice if all these companies would say, 
as long as your warranty is still active, you can just keep adding years. It's going to go up in price. Right. But every July. Like health insurance. <laughs> Right, the older you get, yeah, it goes up. The more your insurance and you can, costs. You can drop it if you want to, but you you shouldn't. <laughs> but like, you know, like I know my keyless ride on my GSA is starting to to be a little finicky. Oh no, what year is your bike? Eighteen. All right, I got a couple years then. <laughs> and I, I have a horror story for you. I'll tell you in a second. But uh, I would love to walk in and just add a year, just in case, yeah. for like three hundred dollars. And then you know, next year it's three fifty, and then you know, like that. Um, so f- some of my BMW Quebec riders, um, oh, I can't remember her name, but uh, she was in Labrador on a twelve hundred rally. Twenty eighteen was that model year, um, and she is of the habit because she lives in Montreal of always handlebar locking and holding on the keyless ride to lock her handlebars. Okay. Oh, is that how you do it? Yeah, yeah. So you, I had no you idea. Do hard left. Hold that button down for five, five seconds. And, and it you, goes and you, click. You hear a little motor yeah. sound, and it's locked in place. She cool. always does that because in Montreal, people, people might steal, steal bikes. bikes. Yeah. And they came back from lunch, pressed the button, motor didn't unlock. Oh, no. And what begins is this saga, which goes on for months, where they tow the bike thousands of dollars back to Montreal because you're in Labrador. Uh, and getting onto a tow truck with the wheel locked is obviously... Difficult. And they, and, and they, they were ins- insistent, don't break the moat. We don't right. want to get it to a dealer. Dealer gives her the wonderful news of, I have to disassemble your keyless ride, mail it to Berlin because it's mm. VIN locked. Yep. And so like 700 euros, six weeks later, she gets her keyless ride back in. And Why didn't they uh, cover that? Oh, my God. She was just, it, it, I don't know. It was a whole saga to get this thing in yeah. place. And so she bought a new bike last year, and she had to do a premium minus keyless ride because she's like... I'm not making that mistake again. <laughs> which which of all the keyless ride bikes, I've never heard that happen before. I've never heard that either. But it only has to happen to you one time for you to <laughs> yep. ride it off. Yep. Um, are there any... Because we're at 45 minutes or so. Are there anything that you wanted to get off your chest that is on your mind that you haven't asked before that, you know, it's not like the breakfast question where... <laughs> Right. <laughs> My favorite diner. Um, well, I did rob a bank. No, that's not true. I don't, I don't have any big confession. Okay. Um, but, you know, I, I like that you asked me about stuff that's not motorcycle related. If you want to know anything else that's not motorcycle related, because I don't get to talk about well, that stuff with, um, with people, you know. Well, my, my last question was going to be, you know, what's the one year... Uh, what would be a one-year success story for your your media work in general? Not just the podcast, but yeah. like, because you spend a lot of time uh, capturing, curating, and publishing all kinds of stuff. Like, I think you do the newsletter, right? You, or you contribute yeah. to the newsletter. I mean, that, yeah, yeah. that's, editorially speaking, that's your voice. You get the voice in the magazine. You get the voice on the Instagram account, I think, and the podcast. So... 12 months from now, are there some metrics, real or analytical, that you would like to hit? It can't be a download figure. It might just be like, case in point, some celebrity in that, like Keanu Reeves. Uh-huh. Like maybe your one-year metric is Nailed Keanu it. Reeves' person emails you and said, we'd love for you to interview Keanu. Is that, like, yeah. that kind of thing? Yeah, I actually reached out to them. <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, cause Keanu Reeves started a motorcycle company called arch mm-hmm. and they do bespoke fully custom they're motorcycles gorgeous. and they're amazing. Yeah. And this is a dude, 
he's not just invested in a motorcycle company. Mm-hmm. He is eight up with motorcycles, just like you and I are. Yeah. And, you know, this is a guy who who has had some very public motorcycle crashes. Yep. You yep. know, got hit by a car, tore his leg up. You know, this dude loves motorcycles. And, you know, I, I reached out to to them through Arch and said, you know, I'd love to interview. I probably, I said Mr. Reeves probably, because I don't know the guy well enough to call him by his first name. <laughs> and I said, you know, listen, I don't want to talk about anything but motorcycles. Yeah. That's it. I just want to talk about motorcycles. That's yeah. all I'm interested. I don't want to talk about his career, his personal life, none of it. I just want to talk about motorcycles. Mm-hmm. And uh, radio silence, nothing. <laughs> that, actually, that's not entirely true. They put me on their mailing list. <laughs> which good marketing good marketing right they know they know they've got a, an interested reader um so yeah that's like i would kind of my it's kind of a two-prong i've got kind of a rolling one-year set of goals right mm-hmm. um which makes me feel less bad about myself when i don't achieve them um i would very much like to have more people contacting me yeah. to say, Hey, we heard about your podcast. We think that we can add something to that body mm-hmm. of information that you're, that you're putting out. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not just talking about like manufacturers. I mean, like people in the industry, yeah. you know, who think they have something to share, not just a product to sell. Um, don't get me wrong. I love talking to people with products to sell yeah. because there's a story behind that was the David, David and Heidi mm-hmm. something yeah. whose names I can't from now remember from Atlas. Yeah. What a great story on how he, they invented so good. the Atlas lock. Yeah. I mean, it's just brilliant. Yeah. Necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah. Dude broke his wrist. Yeah. How are we going to finish our ride? Right. Um, but also, yeah, I'd, I would like to, to land. I have had one celebrity on my show um, and I was super excited to have him because it's Alonzo Bowden. And I think he's hysterical. He's a comedian. He's so funny and he loves motorcycles yeah. and, and he loves BMWs. Yeah. You know, um, I know he's had a, he either has or had a GS. Um, he's had a K16. And you he's know. doing comedy at the RA rally this year, I think. He's Is doing he really? It, yeah. Yeah. Wow, we missed out on that one. Yeah. Um, they probably asked him and we didn't because we do music. You know, that's kind of our thing is yeah. music. But he's a, he's a funny guy. He is really <laughs> funny. So he's 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 my only celebrity that I've had on the show. Yeah. Um, but I would love to, to have some people who have a little higher visibility mm-hmm. in our society who are also motorcyclists yeah. and have and be able to talk to them about, you know, how they incorporate motorcycling into their lives mm-hmm. and how motorcycling has affected their lives or maybe even their careers. Yeah. Um, another person that I reached out to was Norman Reedus, mm-hmm. who is in um, yeah. The Walking Dead. Yeah. And he did a really cool TV show yep. about motorcycles mm-hmm. and, you know, rode his motorcycles around with, with his buddies. It was buddies a popular and, show. Like the non-motorcycle people were enjoying it. Yeah, yeah. Cause, yeah. Yeah, cause I think because of who he was, yeah. you know, because his association with the with the insanely popular, mm-hmm. you know, television phenomenon. And, uh, you know, once again, it's like, you know, I don't, I don't <laughs> rate 
The yeah. only celebrities people who ever got back to me was Charlie Borman's people. Oh, cool. And uh, I really, I'm a big fan of Charlie Borman. I've, I've read all his books and watched all his shows. Yep. Uh, and I just really love his down to earth nature yeah. and his just unbridled love of motorcycles. I just want to drink beer with him. Honestly. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, his people actually got back to me. They replied to me and okay. asked me a bunch of questions about my demographics and my downloads. And oh, I answered the questions nice. and, and uh, then I never heard from oh. them again. Um, you know, but you know, what are you going to do? I, I get, and, and now between the two shows, I'm probably close to 10,000 downloads a month Yeah, uh, in a month where I'm regularly putting out the episodes yep. that I, that I have scheduled. And you can't compare that to the, back to like my origin stories. You can't compare that to the podcasting market in general, because in the motorcycling world, 10,000 listeners is a lot of people. Yeah, I, I it think, really is. I think. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I'm blown away when I, cause I have to, because now the podcasting is part of my job, yep. I have to report my numbers at the end of the mm -hmm. month. Yeah. So I'm astounded and surprised and humbled mm -hmm. every time I look at that number and it goes up. Yeah. You know, I've had yeah. a few more listeners this month than I had last month. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, this. that's, that's magic yeah. to me. It, it's such a great feeling. Um, but I always feel like I could be doing better. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's just a function of my personality. Um, yeah. One thing that I think being able to interview a celebrity, somebody like Keanu Reeves or um, Katie Sackhoff, yep. who's another actress who's a, a big motorcycle fan, I don't think it would necessarily make my show better. Mm -hmm. But I do think it would add an interesting perspective because... I really try to learn about all aspects of the motorcycle industry and visibility through celebrity is an important part of any industry. Yep. You know, yeah. when, when Charlie Borman and Ewan McGregor rode the long way around the world from London to New York mm -hmm. on BMW motorcycles, yeah. that was a huge boon to BMW motorcycle sales. Yeah. You know, people started thinking of, BMWs as these really capable motorcycles. Mm -hmm. Reliable and those kind of things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and and they were on 1150s. Yeah. Which I'm not a fan of the 1150 generation. <laughs> you know, I was astounded they made it. No, that's not true. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking at that point. Uh, no, I, I wasn't the least bit surprised yeah. that they made it yeah. and were successful on their BMWs because BMW bikes are really well built and they're really well engineered. I can't believe... How much shit was on this bike? <laughs> I, I, watched it, I watched it with my girlfriend like last month. I'm like, look how much shit is on the back <laughs> of that bike. Like, like, and their tents weren't tiny. Like, it's because it's 2000 tech. The tents were big. Yeah, like, everything was like they didn't have these like fleece jackets that packed into a little ball. <laughs> no. It was like, oh my god, there's. They must have had. I would guess it what uh, 200 pounds of pannier plus luggage on the back of their bikes oh, everywhere easy, they went. Easy. I mean, and they were they were splitting they were cracking the frames. Yeah. <laughs> and they got to Alaska. Yeah. Yeah. It's just And the 1150 that's a stout frame to crack. It sure is, man. I was <laughs> impressed. I was impressed. But yeah, you know that that kind of um that kind of visibility is something I'm very curious about and you know, it's something that you and I can discuss, mm -hmm. but we don't have the same perspective on it as somebody 
who creates that kind of visibility. Yeah. And, and that's really my interest in interviewing like a, a, a celebrity yeah. when yeah. it comes down to it. Um, you know, and, but I've, I've gotten to interview some people that are celebrities in the motorcycling world. Mm-hmm. And that means as much to me as it would be to talk of to, course. you know, like a, a Keanu Reeves or a Charlie Borman or, or something like that. What's, would, would you, would you say that the MOA's YouTube channel has a clear strategy or do you still feel like it's the pasta against the wall thing? And you're just sort of, and it's not a critique. No, no. I, I just wanted to, it is. I'm, I'm throwing it all against the wall I, trying I watch, to find out what Cause works. I watch every video. Thank but, you. But, but I'm a completionist. I only subscribe to like 20 channels and I watch every single video. Yeah. Um, fa- famously, and I, I promise I'll get you to answer your question. I don't watch <laughs> any motorcycle YouTubers except for you, I think. Okay. If people are like, hey, have you seen the re- recent uh, Fort 9 or the most recent Itchy Boots or the most recent uh, Toby Price? I don't know. I don't follow them on social media. Right. And and and, and I, I promise I'll get back to you a second, but this is me uh, monologuing for a second. Go. On my YouTube channel, I've had people tell me, like, your videos are so different. And I'm like... Thank you, but like I don't, I don't know what the cool thing to do is on YouTube right, right. now, and it maybe that that helps a little bit, but um, I just don't have time to watch all the content. That's the problem. Yeah, but um, I watch all the MOA videos, and independently, they all have value to the R18 owner, the GS owner, the uh, the air-cooled oilhead owner. Your deconstruction videos were super awesome. I'm glad the, you the, like those. The cooking videos are entertaining. <laughs> um, the guest... Throwing it against the wall, seeing what sticks. The guest reviews of some of the seats and things are entertaining. Yeah. Um, so, like, it almost has the same effect that I feel like my channel has where, I shit you not, I only have 9,000 subscribers, but I have... 8 million video views <laughs> that's, because that's more than the MOA's YouTube channel has, but because your R18 exhaust video will get viewed over the next seven years, a hundred thousand yeah. times. Yeah. I had this long tail effect. So you're successful in that regard, but in building the community around the channel, it doesn't feel like it's there yet, but I don't, I don't have any advice. I'm just wondering if there is like an MOA strategy for the video channel. There, there really isn't. Um, the, the strategy is, me trying to come up with content that I think people will find value in and mm-hmm. find an interest in the by far, by far the most popular video I have ever put on the MOA's YouTube channel is the absolutely miserable process that was putting a clutch in my old R 1200 GS. <laughs> and it's, it's, a, it's a long, it's like almost 30 minutes long. Yeah. And a lot of it is time-lapse because Changing a clutch is boring. You got to take the whole bike apart oh, I, on those dry clutch bikes. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. You've seen the I've video, seen, right? Yeah. Um, and I used music from one of my bands, oh, yeah. which, uh, you know, so I wouldn't get a copyright strike. Yeah. But that video has been watched over 50,000 times. Yeah. And I'm just amazed that, <laughs> and I look at the average watch time they're, is, is. They're watching it. Yeah, they're watching it for 12 <laughs> or 14 minutes. Yeah, it's great. You know, and. uh it's very informational. The, probably the best part of that particular video is where I talk about all the different parts. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the, that's, you know, I remember doing yep. that. And it's very typical of my videos in that I know about 90% of what I'm talking about. Yep. And then I get to something I'm stuck on and I have to ask George. Yeah. 
who's usually right off camera. And George is George is a. I'd like I'd like more George to be honest because he just seems like a funny guy. Yeah, he really is. <laughs> and I'm trying to get him to say, you know, you see it in every video. I'll say, say goodbye, George. And I'm trying to get him to say goodbye, George, and he won't do it. <laughs> so um, when but, you were disassembling the, you were doing the take apart video series, uh-huh. and he was in the background, and and he would always be like. Oh yeah, they tend to do that. Like something would break in your hand, you'd be like, "What the f, f is this?" You'd be like, "Oh yeah, it does that." Yeah, his one of the things he says that's uh, our little shorthand TMDT. Yeah. That model does that. <laughs> that's it. That's what you it know. <laughs> and yeah, but he's been such a great resource to me because um, he knows so much about BMW motorcycles, mm-hmm. and he's he's not he's not he's so intuitively intelligent about problem solving when it comes to a motorcycle mm-hmm. that I, I seriously will sometimes just sit and watch him work to figure out a problem. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because that to me is the essence of, mm-hmm. you know, problem solving yep. and he's so good at it. And it, it boggles my mind sometimes how he'll come up with a solution and all the stuff that he remembers you know, and I'm like, I'm trying to remember if my rear wheel bolts are 60 newton meters or 100. <laughs> well, check your uh, owner's manual. Don't don't take exactly, it from exactly. Look it up. Look it up. Um, and w- <clears throat> you don't have to answer this one because it's a details question, but I know that Google keeps making it harder and harder to monetize channels. Is yeah. the MOA channel actually monetized officially? Partnered? We we have been in the monetization process for months. Okay, but you do you meet the qualifications though? Yeah, we do meet the qualifications, okay. but we have not been able to mm. get jump through all the hoops. Wow. I, and it seems like every time we get through a hoop, they make the next one smaller and farther away. And what's unfortunate is it's kind of like a record label. They're making money off of your videos. Yes, they are. You just don't see a cut of it. It's like you you got your advance now. Go away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's a little frustrating, but you know. They're the 800-pound gorilla. Yeah. So, you know, what are we going to do? Switch to Vimeo? It's too late. It is. And we're not we're not artistic enough really for and Vimeo. YouTube is a utility now. Like, you, yeah. you can't not have YouTube. Yeah. Um, I, I was, I was like, so I start my YouTube channel was started in 05, just like my blog. And for the first 10 years, it's just a vacation video or something stupid. Uh, actually... One of my fun, mo- not you- stupid, fun. <laughs> I've seen some of your older videos. They're fun. So they're, if you sort by most popular, uh, and this, then we'll wrap it up after this, I promise, because everyone's probably already asleep. Um, <laughs> so if you look at my analytics and you look at uh, playlist referring traffic to your videos, uh-huh. my second most popular um, referrer from within YouTube, <laughs> it's actually three playlists. It's Gassy Men. Pregnant men or a man with big belly, because there, there, there must be—I'm so sorry, but there must be some kind of a fetish around this, right? Right. And so, but there's around some, gassy men. So there are some there are some countries that block adult content from right. being watched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so YouTube is the only streaming service. So there's all kinds of like they they tried to game in, yeah. adult content through, and there must be some like dude or girl somewhere in like I don't know, want to pick a country because. Let's not get there, but like there's some country out there where this Malaysia is Malaysia or something. Be careful because there might be like some GS writer in Malaysia that's like, fuck you, fuck you. Guys. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but anyway, so back in 2006, uh, I was hanging out, I went to the gym with my buddies. Uh, we were at the quick stop or gas station, whatever. And um, I dared my friend who was a year younger than me. So I was 18, he was 17. 
I dared him to, he was always drinking and eating weird shit for money. Uh, I dared him to drink <laughs> half a gallon of milk and a 24 ounce monster. Oh, <laughs> knowing he would puke. Yeah. And it's like midnight at the quickie stop. Um, and then as it's he, a pretty good dare though. <laughs> well, I told him if he did it, I would buy him another monster. So he was like, Oh sweet. A second monster. That yeah. sounds great. <laughs> and, uh, um, that one's coming up too, bro. <laughs> and as, and it's a th- you should watch it. It's it's terrible. But as <laughs> as my buddy John's rolling up after the gym too, we all meet after the gym and like just sort of chat and have our our, our midnight Red Bulls. Uh, John rolls up. John does the most like manly, inappropriate crotch grab, like a full <laughs> one eighty adjustment <laughs> on camera. Nice. And then as he does that, Matt bends over and just lets out a big fart, like <laughs> for a whole minute. <laughs> that video has like two hundred thousand views. <laughs> And is that the, sounds like farts are funny. And is my gassy man playlist? Yeah. And so I've probably made more money off my gassy man video mm, than like nice. any motorcycle video <laughs> I've ever published. <laughs> so what you need to do, <laughs> you just need to get someone to do a half gallon milk challenge. Yeah. Well, and you know, realistically speaking, I'm probably not going to earn the MOA a lot of money off the YouTube channel because it's not. It's not vlogging content, and that's really popular. Yeah, it's not really slickly produced, and that's yeah. really popular. Yeah, I mean, Itchy Boots videos are amazing. I don't know how she does it. You know, that's the question I want to ask her: is tell me about all of your gear and software because yeah. I want to know how you're doing it. Um, but at, at, at the end, I am not really a very good looking young woman who has a pleasant voice and a kind demeanor Mm -hmm. and will attract tens of thousands of subscribers. Yeah. And this, and, and, and this, this dialogue I have my friend Ben who tried to do the YouTube celebrity thing for a while is, uh, it's, it's an out of style statement back in Oh five, when we were both trying to like figure out YouTube, his thing was like, um, back then it was all the guys that were like, you know, outwardly, um, gay men that were like super fashionable, great looking, energetic, like, hi yeah. everyone. Oh my God. So good to see you. Like he was like, I think I need to like, like act like I'm someone I'm not just to get popular. And that was his whole like identity crisis. And he tried it for a few years and he did make some money, but it wasn't, it wasn't him. So he just like, right. well, I don't, I'm not being myself. Um, yeah. I, I, what I'll tell you is that motorcycle so you're in the industry so you'll know that like um uh things for women do really well for like the cpm and stuff like you know products and uh clothing and things like so like motorcycling has a pretty weak cpm compared to like videos about iphones iphones have great cpm and so iphones drive people crazy (laughs) <laughs> well, or the iPhone buyer is probably going to buy the $100 headphones from Skullcandy or something. Yeah. Like, it's that balloon effect. So motorcycling has this low CPM in, in my stats that I've seen. It's like 4 to $5 per, whatever their thing is. That's my, that's my rate. And what I can tell you is every, uh, every month I get about seventy to 100,000 views and I make 400 bucks. That's pretty good. But I tell people that because some people are like, I'm going to buy the GoPro. I'm going to do the itchy boots thing. Right. And I'm like, well, you, you better space it out. There is a, there you, you need to quit your day job. 
you need like yeah. a million views a month yeah. to make your four grand. Um, if that math, math is right. Um, and then you're only making four grand a month and you, and you have 20,000 comments per video to reply to. Yeah. Uh, so and be you careful be- what you, you wish for. You better not miss a, miss a day. Right. You know, if you're, if you got to that point by putting out three videos a week, you got to keep putting out three videos a week. Yeah. You know, cause if your if your views take a hit, yeah. then so does your income, mm-hmm. you know? And back to the 800 pound gorilla, if YouTube decides to just not promote your stuff for a while, you're looking for a, a job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, what if you, what if you get a copyright, like what if you get a legit copyright strike and you screw up? Oh, and they pull your you status know, or something. They, yeah, yeah. You know, cause I get, I get, I call them minor copyright strikes from yeah. time to time. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I, like one of the things I just uploaded, um, all the grand prize videos yep. for the MOA rally. Mm-hmm. And two of them use, uh, songs that have been copyrighted. Yep. So that's, that's a copyright violation. And what happens is the MOA can never monetize that video. Mm-hmm. The money goes to, as it rightfully should, yeah. the person who recorded the song, yeah. you know, or wrote the song or however that works. Whoever gets the credit for the song mm-hmm. is who gets the money yeah. if those videos ever generate money. And that's how it should be. And I have a fantastic story for you. Last year, I was working on my bike all day on Saturday. Like I was going to be working on a bunch of stuff. And I love because I'll have like between one and 20 viewers during a live stream. Yeah. And I'll get to just yell out in the ether, what's a torque spec for this? And I'll wait 30 seconds and someone will put it in the chat room. So I, I do it for like the feedback. That's loop. awesome. But I'm not going to work on my bike for 12 hours and not play music. All right. So <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking that. <laughs> so I hit stop on the record and you have, you have two choices. You can leave it as a live stream or you can publish as a video. I pressed that publish button and went to bed. The next morning, my Gmail account had 300 copyrights. Oh, boom. no. I, I saw, like, as the thing was encoding, boom, boom, like every minute yeah. it would come in. <laughs> and all I had to do was just say, just block it from all countries. I accept that I'm wrong. Et yeah. And they didn't do anything. But, like, that was... I've never gotten 300 emails in a day, <laughs> but uh, uh, United Artists and Sony and everyone else, oh man, they love me. All of a sudden, they knew who you were. <laughs> yeah, that's um, George listens to, he runs, uh, what's the, the, not Spotify, the other one? Like Pandora. Pandora. Or, yeah, yeah. He runs Pandora. He listens to terrible music, by the way. <laughs> I mean, he loves it, It's it, but it's just terrible music. Yep. Um and I can say that because I know he won't listen to this. He doesn't <laughs> listen to podcasts. Um, he listens to terrible music. But a- after watching a few of the videos, um, I realized that his music is always playing in the background. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I can't. I got to. I got to. So now anytime I make a tech video, I'm like, George, you got to turn off the music. And he's like, oh, man. Uh, but he understands. And I think, I think the nice part is, is that I'm talking to the camera mm-hmm, right? and he can hear me. Yeah. So he'll catch me if I say something wrong mm-hmm. or he'll insert something that's typically funny. Cause he is a funny guy. Yeah. Um, but we get a little bit more of, of interaction and mm-hmm. banter that way. Um, and the, there's another guy that works at the shop that uh, works on airheads, and his name is Dale. Mm-hmm. And probably the nicest thing you could, the nicest word you could use to describe Dale is curmudgeon. <laughs> you know, he's he is in many ways a stereotypical airhead, airhead guy. Owner. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I like Dale a yeah. lot because I get his humor. 
Um, I'm not sure he particularly cares for me, uh, but I like him a lot. Uh, and he, I have to, anytime Dale's in the shop and I'm making a video, I always have to go back and watch the video mm-hmm. to listen to it because he drops the F-bomb like it's his job, <laughs> which is one of the reasons why we get along. Yeah. And I've kind of trained myself not to say that while the camera's rolling. Yeah. Um, but every now and then I will turn off the camera and say it eight or 10 times uh, just to get it out of my system. Uh, Cause yeah, I discovered early on with the podcast that uh, I, I don't want to say I don't care if you're offended by yeah. foul language, but I'm not going to get stressed about it. A yeah. curse word or two in a, in a, in an episode, I'll go back and bleep out mm-hmm. if they're like hard. One of George Carlin's seven dirty words, <laughs> right? You know, yeah. Which I, I know them all by heart. I will not say it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if it's if it's the conversation, because I never want people to be inauthentic when they're talking to me. I want you to talk yeah. the way you talk. Flow the way you flow. Exactly. That's, that's, that's your thing. And if, and if you talk like a sailor, then we're talking like a sailor and I will join you. Yeah. Um, because I know my mother doesn't listen to the podcast. One, one viewer once, and, and, and it's fine. I've never received, well, I had one offhand comment. I'm not quite sure how to take it today. But one guy who's an engineer said he's an engineer and then said, also, I watch your videos. And I'm like, where is this going? <laughs> like, oh, shit. This sounds like a criticism already, bro. And, and so I said, oh, no. And he says, oh, don't worry. I take everything you say on your YouTube videos with a grain of salt. <laughs> Thanks, I think. <laughs> and that, that one struck, I'm like, well, I guess I'm entertainment. Yeah. Um, but I had one guy who sincerely was like, you know, I, I, I watch YouTube when I'm cooking dinner for my, he's a single dad. Yeah. I'm cooking dinner for my kids. And he's like, I have my channels and YouTube just auto plays through my subscriptions. Sure. And he said, you know, you, you do say the F word a lot. <laughs> and, a lot. And uh, he's like, and he's like, you do your thing, but if you could do a little less, it would, it would just be really helpful. Cause then I could watch your videos while I'm cooking. Right. And I, I, I guess I've, I, I felt cause it, you don't, we don't really know where people consume our content. Yeah. And so I, I, I put this as explicit on the podcast thing. So people know, and I don't mark the YouTube videos as safe for kids as well, but still like parents, this was a discussion on ADV Ready the other day, but like it was talking about people that had F words on their panniers. Uh-huh. And like I have a sticker on mine that says fuck work. Yes. <laughs> and so we we were talking about like what are the le- not legalities, what's the moral place of like putting the F word on your shirt or something? Yeah. And I was thinking, you know, parents should be able to like pretend these words don't matter to their kids, but I don't want to be the person that sort of introduces their kids to it inadvertently. Yeah. So I was like, I'm sorry, Matt, I'll, I'll cool it down a little bit. Cause I don't, I don't want to. That was nice of you. I have, I have a very strong opinion on this. If you'd like to hear it. <laughs> I don't know. If I do. No, seriously, it is not my job to raise your kids. Yeah. 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 You know, yeah. if you don't want your kids to say shit, yeah. teach them not to say shit. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. I curse like a sailor. <laughs> constantly in my home i talk the way that i am comfortable talking and every third word is foul (laughs) and you know what my daughter doesn't do yeah she doesn't curse yeah because she has decided somewhere in her life that Mm -hmm. that's not how she's going to talk more power to her yeah you know and we do this again in a couple of years we'll 
we'll talk about how cool it must be to raise a little human and then see them become like <laughs> a human with yeah. their own opinions. Uh, so the last oh, thing I, I w- messed up on that too, man, because I raised me an uppity woman. <laughs> <laughs> so the last thing I wanted to mention, I, I've done this with a few friends in my life, which is uh, people casually, friends, family have said things to me, and you've probably gone through this too, where like it it sticks with you. Yeah. And and sometimes it's great, sometimes it's bad. Like my my uh, my stepmom, who I never really got along with, um, uh, I was over at her place. I was visiting with my dad, and uh, I didn't pick up my towel off, off the floor for the bathroom for like the third time in a row. And she said to me, like, uh, you must live in a pigsty at home. Your parents are disgusting. And that really stuck with me as like, ouch. I was like seven. It's a towel. Wow. But anyway, stuff like that. So when you interviewed me on the uh, 200 Miles for Breakfast podcast, or maybe it was chasing the, I can't remember, probably 200 miles. I think it was 200 miles. One of the um, first few episodes, too. You, you'd said to me, and we were going on for like half an hour with the MOA, because I, and it, <laughs> this, and as you can tell, like now that I'm sitting on the board, like I'm, I haven't been faking it. Like I really like this organization yeah. a lot. But you had said something that stuck out to me, and I've, I've, I've wondered if it was positive or negative because you said you are a walking MOA billboard. And I was like, is, does he not like me? Is he being a dick? <laughs> no, no. I meant that in as positive a light as you can because it it is sometimes difficult to express enthusiasm in a constructive way yeah. because you come off as manic. Yep. Yeah. You do not come off as manic when you talk about the MOA and your ideas for the future and your plans and the things you'd like to see accomplished or accomplish yourself or Mm -hmm. help others accomplish, you come off with very genuine enthusiasm. And that is so refreshing because, uh, and this is going to sound like a slam on MOA members and I don't mean it to be, but a lot of MOA members are tired Oh, we sh- that can be another episode entirely. Yeah. I, I was talking to, um, I noticed this in the Vermont Club first. There was the f- charter members of Vermont Club in the 70s. And then in the late 80s, early 90s, Muriel and others like her took over. Yeah. And they, they, they jumped right in. And then sometime after 1996 until 2020, no one joined. Right. And so Muriel and Lynn and Ted, these other people in the Vermont Club, they've been cooking and booking campsites and hauling away trash for 30 effing years yeah. and they're over it. Yeah. And they're like, where the fuck are the 50 year olds that were supposed to replace us? Yeah. And and now I'm 34 and like we missed a generation there in the middle. We did. So anyway, we did. No, I'm, I'm, and I absolutely meant that in a positive fashion. And I'm, I was, when we were at the rally the other day, I think we were at the ambassador dinner, which, uh, you know, which, Mixed feelings, right? Mm-hmm. Because uh, they they made me an ambassador, which I'm really Huge. excited Huge. about. I feel like I feel like the MOA old guard have recognized me as part of the group that contributes. Yeah, and that means something to me. But maybe it also means I'm old because <laughs> I looked around that room. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of older folks in there. Yeah. And there, and these are people whose names I recognize right. from when I joined the MOA yeah. 20 years ago, yeah. two, 22 years ago. Mm-hmm. But I also, there were seven of our nine board members were there. Yep. 
and six of them were under 50. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I noticed that, too. It's crazy. Yeah. And so I'm really excited to see what the next three to five years of the MOA yeah. are going to look like. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure that, you know, with as with everything, there will be a little bit of ebb and flow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll but for so, so many years, all of our board members were over 60. Yeah. Which is I say that neither as positive nor negative. No, it's just a fact. It's yeah. simply it was a fact. Exactly. Yeah. And. You know, we we operated in a direction mm-hmm. that was consistent with their experience. Yeah. And with having a lot of younger board members, they don't have that same 30 years of experience no. to say, we're going to do it this way because we've always done it this way because they haven't always done it that way. <laughs> you know, yeah. so I'm really excited to see. Um, and I, you know, I'm one of the people that encouraged you to run for the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was very pleased that you stepped up to that because it, it is a big responsibility yeah. and, uh, it's, but it's also very exciting. People keep apologizing to me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I voted for you, dude. <laughs> I didn't really think you'd make it. <laughs> and, and that's, that's something that I take. I'm very, very aware of the perception of a young person kind of coming in yeah. and, and, and the, the, the anxiety of seeing someone that was like born in the eighties in charge of things. Yeah. I, I'm aware of the optics of that from this side, from the other side of the, 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 the table. Um, and, and I'm, 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 I mentioned this to a guy, John, who knew me from the YouTubes, but had never met at me before. I said to him today, something that really resonated with him. And I'm trying to talk more people that it's not manipulation. I, I said the same thing, but different ways to people to right. see how they react, to see like, What's the best way to tell the story of what I'm trying to tell? And, and it, he reacted to this, which was, I said, I want to embrace every MOA tradition while looking to the future. Because, That's a great way to do it. Because we have traditions and we can't abandon them. Right. Um, it, but, but if forever you're doing the same things over and over again, you're not going to have new traditions. Right. Um, so, so yes, so let's just see how that goes. But, but I, I, but I'm not the kind of person that's like, throw everything out. Let's start. It's a, you know, like when, um, office in uh, the office, when, uh, the young kid shows up and like wants to release the tablet and the website and like, Oh, don't do it this way anymore. He failed because he basically said 25 years of business is out the window. This is a new way. And he got arrested for cocaine. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Whereas if you. If you see an opportunity to start a new tradition mm-hmm. in an organization that is built up primarily of old traditions, yep. like say, for instance, starting a podcast, <laughs> yeah, right, it becomes a little more obvious why I did that. Yeah. You know, because not only was I interested in it, mm-hmm. but I wanted to incorporate that into my MOA experience. Right. And I wanted that to be a part of the future of the MOA, Mm -hmm. you know, my, my ultimate indicator of success, we were talking about this earlier Mm -hmm. for the podcast is legit being able to turn it over to somebody else. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. Not yet. I'm not ready to give it up yet, but to have, to have enough depth in Mm -hmm. our volunteers Mm -hmm. and our members to be able to hand it over to somebody and trust them to do it justice. Yeah. You know, and know that it's going to change because mm-hmm. it's not me anymore. Yeah. 
but to know that it's going to continue. It's your Tonight Show moment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Thank you for comparing me to Carson. I appreciate that. Well, more like Letterman, but I'll... <laughs> <laughs> Did I get the wrong... I don't watch a lot of late night TV. No, I thought Carson, because Carson gave it over to... Uh, wasn't Letterman after Carson, and they tried to give it over to... And then there was the whole uh, Conan O'Brien I remember, yeah, the, the Jay Leno-Conan O'Brien yeah. fiasco, and, and Jay now, Leno and came back. And now posted? Is it, is, it, is it... Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. <laughs> But he has the roots. I'm supposed I'm supposed to be like I'm supposed to like Jimmy Fallon, but I don't. Right. <laughs> I find him amusing. I I've never forgiven him for breaking character in every SNL sketch growing oh, up. Oh, he was terrible about that, wasn't he? Right. Like, he, the, the only ones he could he could keep were the the Boston the goofy yeah. Boston ones he did with Rachel Dretch, yeah, which were fantastic sketches. But he was already so over the top. Yeah. You know that, but your job is read the cue cards and be funny, and all you're doing is laughing the entire. Like, get in the audience if it's so funny. Yeah, right, we we should wrap it up. I, I I wanted to touch on that last comment because yeah, I appreciate um, that. It was something that it, you know, and again, thanks for clarifying. I I, I never expected you to Has say that anything been bothering that bothering you. I'm sorry if that bothered you. Well, I re-listened back to the podcast and I, I thought that's why I don't and listen I, to it. And him. I thought this me, this guy is insane. Like like <laughs> I, like he's <laughs> I went over like five minutes about roadside assistance. <laughs> but I I I just used it and, and like it was a four hundred dollar tow and I didn't pay a dime and I was so yeah. excited to talk about that. Yeah. And you were like, You're a billboard. And I'm like, sorry. <laughs> I yeah. Felt bad. But you know we need we need more members like that yeah. that are excited about all of the aspects. Yeah. Like, dude, I I pony up for the roadside assistance every single year, yeah. and they have saved my butt more than once. Mm-hmm. I got a, a on my Indian right my FTR. That's two mentions. Yeah. The day I brought it home, I picked up a screw in the rear tire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and used the roadside assistance yeah. program to get a new tire mm-hmm. on my brand new motorcycle. Yeah. Well, after we recorded that, um, my girlfriend ended up, uh, uh, came to me and she wanted to get her MSF and everything. Fantastic. Uh, and I, I correct a lot of my guy friends, um, do not push your spouse to ride. I I agree. It's going to be a lot of fun. Sure. You're going to enjoy it. It's going to be great ride together in the sunset. But if, if it's not her thing, you're going to crash and burn on this dude. Yeah. And she rode on the back. She hated not being in control. And so she stopped riding on the back. And I said, well, you can just get your own bike. And she said, no. We dropped it for two years. And then one random June, she was like, I think I want to get my license. And I said, digital membership. Because <laughs> she did the Paul B. She yeah. got her license. And then in September, after we... Yes, s- spend the 40 bucks to save 200 It's a smart move. <laughs> but then we spent six weekends going to every deal. Because, I, I, again, it's not a BMW thing. Right. I wanted her to sit on every bike. I didn't even, like, steer or give thumbs up. Or I was very impartial. It's her bike purchase. It was tough, though, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and then she ended up wanting a 750 low. And then she saved like three or four hundred dollars by being an MOA member on the 750. Nice. And she's like, I got to be a member for ten years now to even to even have spent any money on my membership. And I'm like, I got to call Wes about this billboard thing. And That's fantastic. But th- she's doing it too, yeah. right? She yeah. recognizes those kind of under the radar benefits. Mm-hmm. Like you get the magazine every month, and like, oh, cool, yeah. that's a benefit of my membership. Yeah. But she just saved 
hundreds and hundreds, hundreds. and hundreds of dollars yeah. on training and a new motorcycle right. for 40 bucks a year. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And she's right. She will have to be a member for 10 years to spend the money that she saved. Yeah. And it's, it's totally worth it. Yep. You know, and I think you did it. I think you did it right. It's got to, for anybody, not just yep. your spouse, your significant other, your partner, your kid, mm-hmm. for them to start riding and for it to stick with them, it's mm-hmm. got to be their idea. And I've also told her in the first year of riding was two years ago. Uh, I said, one day you're going to catch the bug. Cause like just owning the bike and having your license, you haven't caught the bug yet. Right. But one day you're going to catch the bug and you want to go riding all the time. And we, we were in COVID lockdown. Um, we rode together a lot, but she never rode solo. And then one day I was on a meeting. I, I was so, I was so angry. <laughs> I don't really get angry, angry, <laughs> but I'm in a meeting. I got my headset on and I hear, <laughs> I look out the front window. I'm like, what She's the fuck? Right she suited up. <laughs> And she's on a ride. And I'm like, that asshole's going on a ride. And she was going for hours. I'm like, where the fuck did what she the, go? What the, look, I created a monster. I, I was so, so I messaged her. I'm like, and I said, don't respond to this. You're on your bike. Right. And I said, are you riding by yourself? And like, where are you going? And she's like, doesn't matter. See you later. <laughs> I like her style. And, and that, and that, and ever since then, you know, she, she goes up to her parents' house to pick strawberries or tend the garden or she'll yeah. go do errands and And she gets on the bike. Gets on the bike. And um, you know, she she, she got the bug. She got the and, and like and, and none of it was coaxing or you gotta have this yeah. farco or this thing or the, you know, it was just it just happened. Yeah. So I say something uh, and then I'll stop talking because okay. I know we're I know we're over your time limit, but <laughs> I'm having a good time. Okay, cool. And and literally nobody ever interviews me. So, you know, so this is really I get a chance to say things that I would never get to yep, say. Yep. Um at the end of every episode of Chasing the Horizon, I have the same little blurb. Yeah. Uh, and I don't even say it over and over. I just record it and copy it from episode I, to episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do re record it every now and then, yep. you know, like I re recorded it after I was sick okay. and I was feeling better. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, I say something and I can't remember exactly what it is, but, you know, y- you, it's not about owning, being in the MOA is not about owning a BMW motorcycle right. exclusively. Listening to the sh- join joining the MOA, we know I know yep. you will eventually come around and want a BMW motorcycle yeah. because they are the pinnacle of motorcycling technology. They're great bikes. They are absolutely great bikes. Not perfect. Not perfect. <laughs> but they're great. No, they are great bikes. <laughs> and I have my issues, and I yeah. know it's probably hurt my relationship with BMW because I followed your oil head, your your saga. Yeah, the, the columns and the YouTube channel, and I'm like, someone please give this man a new GS, <laughs> a, a new oil. Like it can be an eighty thousand mile oil cooled, but something with a clutch and a you know, shaft that works. And like, sorry, go on. But you know, the, the benefit is is that I've learned all these things about it. And when somebody asks me, say, "Hey, I've got a two thousand five RT. Yeah. What do I need to do to keep it going for another fifty thousand miles?" Mm-hmm. I I can tell them. Yeah. You know, and I could, you need to do this, 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 and this mm-hmm. and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but you know, I, I've had, I, I recruit friends into the MOA mm-hmm. who don't own BMWs. Yeah. Um, I've, I recruited three triumph owners <laughs> who all bought BMWs. <laughs> um, but, and then I have, I know three other people who ride triumphs and two of them have no interest in riding a BMW. Mm-hmm. That's just not their style. They love their triumphs. Yep. Um, 
but they like our roadside assistance program. <laughs> yeah. And how do you get access to that? Yeah. By being a member. Yeah. And it's worth it to them to join, not just to, because they're my friends and they want to support what I do, mm-hmm. but that 50 bucks a year that their membership costs gives them access to Paul B scholarships yeah. and you know the roadside assistance program. Yeah, because if they come across a track day, they can get like most of it paid back just yep. for being a member. I mean, stuff like that really adds up. And here's the kicker, mm-hmm. and this is what I'll leave you with. Yeah. Tonight, they gave away the first six of 20 motorcycles in the super stakes. Yeah. One of them went to my friend, <laughs> Doug, what? that I recruited into the MOA. Holy shit. Yeah. And he bought a BMW. He rides a 2018 GS. Oh, my God. That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm so excited because... Because I'm on staff, I can't win. Yeah. I can't even enter, did legally he get, did speaking. Did he get a call? Does Ted call him? How does that work? I called him. Oh, my God. I was like, Doug, you need to call me back right now. And then he didn't call me back right away. So I called a mutual friend and said, you need to call Doug and tell him to call me right now. <laughs> I was so excited for him. Wow. Um, I even blurted out, hey, I know that guy. I'm, as I'm live <laughs> live streaming the video to YouTube, I said, I bl- totally you know, broke. And, uh, but I'm so excited for him and he's exactly the kind of guy that will take the 2021 S1000 RR that he won for a hundred dollar ticket. Oh my God. That he bought for the super stakes, mind you, and take that to the track and just ride the piss out of it. Wow. You know, and I'm so excited for him because, you know, that you're not... You might not be old enough to remember this, Adam. Probably not. Uh, but there used to be a thing they would say, people really do win on MTV, <laughs> right? Back when MTV used to be Music. more than just shows about yeah. pregnant teenagers. Um, I was so, I'm so excited for Doug yeah. because I know somebody who won and it, in a way it feels like I won. Yeah. And in, in a way it feels like, you know, he has gotten something out of the membership that I talked him into, Right. you know, now- I will give him this credit. It didn't take a lot to talk him into it, <laughs> right? But, um, you know, sooner or later, I think if you surround yourself with BMW people, you you become a part of the community and you start looking at BMWs in a way that leads you to appreciate them enough to buy one. Yeah. And and it's, it's, it's a little, it's a little culty, mm-hmm. but not in a bad way. Yep. You know, so anyways, I just wanted um, to share that with you. So you had more fun than dissecting the movie, uh, I, I hope. Uh, was the movie podcast you were on? Uh, it was, Fletch? I don't remember the name of the, the yeah, but the movie we okay. talked about was Fletch, which yeah. is probably my favorite movie of all time. Was this better than talking about Fletch? I can't, mm. I can't ask you that question. <laughs> uh, let me answer that question with a quote from Fletch. Perfect, good ending. Which is, uh, can I borrow your towel? My car just hit a water buffalo. 